You're listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast, episode number 13. This episode is brought to you by scottscheapflights.com. Hands down, this is the best resource that I have found for booking airfare. My sister-in-law has been able to find crazy, amazing deals to go to Sweden for Christmas. She is going to Singapore and Japan this fall, and they recently went to Paris for spring break, and the tickets were like $300. So check out scottscheapflights.com forward slash goadventuremom. You can sign up. It's like $40 for the year, and you will get amazing discounts in your inbox or sent via text message to your phone. Welcome to the Go Adventure Mom podcast, where having kids only adds to the adventure. Get outdoors, see the world, live a full life. Go Adventure Mom, for families who refuse to be indoorsy people. Now, let's go adventure with Kathy Dalton. Hello, this is Kathy Dalton. Today we're talking with John Aldridge. He and his friend Anthony Sazowski are fishermen, and after John went overboard and survived, he and Anthony have authored the book, A Speck in the Sea. It's a story about survival and rescue. We're really excited for this. Also want to give a big shout out to Leland and Winter Red for their iTunes review. Thank you so much for leaving the review. And if you'd like a shout out in the next podcast episode, go to iTunes ratings and reviews, and then write a review. And we'll be sure to give you a shout out in our next podcast episode. You can find the show notes at goadventuremom.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the show today. We have John Aldridge here. Welcome, John. Uh, Thank you for having me. So before we dive into your story and what happened to you, can you tell us where your favorite place to go adventure is? My favorite place to go adventure is the open ocean. There's a lot of uh, adventures and uh, stuff you never really get to see, so that's my favorite place to adventure. Well, and that kind of ties into your your background. Like the the sea is a big part of your history, isn't it? Yeah, it's basically a way of life for me. Uh, everything in my world basically revolves around the ocean. Tell us how you started fishing. Tell us a little bit of um, your relationship and your and your friendship with Anthony. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I grew, my father was always a fisherman, not professional fisherman, just recreational fisherman and hunter. And uh, I used to go with him all the time, him and his friends. And, I, you know, that's how I got the fishing bug, basically, as a kid. And um, Anthony had moved into my neighborhood back in the early 70s. He was... Uh, into fishing as well, and um, we just started fishing as kids back in the day, and it just progressed to uh, a profession for us. You know, we, we love the adventure of going fishing and not knowing what we're going to really catch, and the adventures of going fishing and being in different situations, and it, it was fun as a kid. And you grew up in New York? Yes, Long Island, New York. So surrounded by water, basically, so a lot of opportunities to go fishing. That's great. That's great. So you and Anthony, you were friends to begin with, and then you started a, a, a professional fishing business, right? Yeah, yeah. Anthony's been fishing professionally basically since high school. He went right to to fishing. I became a builder at a high school, building houses, and then uh, I guess when I was about 26, I needed a change, and I 
went out east and Anthony had got me a job on one of the big fishing boats and eventually we bought our own boat years later. And uh, that's how I got into it. And, and tell us what you fish for. Uh, we catch lobster and uh, crabs in about 400 feet of water south of Montauk, uh, New York. We fish about 800 lobster pots, which takes us about two days to haul to lift them all, take the crabs and lobster out, put new bait in, and then set them back. So it's basically a two-day trip we go on. It's an eight-hour ride to our fishing grounds. So, you know, it takes a while to get there, and then it takes we fish about 15, 18 hours a day and then come home. And how how much of your month is spent at sea? This time of year, from basically March to December, January, we are on the ocean probably four out of the seven days a week, four to five days out of the seven. So we basically live out there. And and tell us, just to kind of set the stage, tell us a little bit about the fishing boat. Like, how big is it? Is there a crew? Okay, so we have a 45-foot lobster-style, down-east hull kind of boat, traditional main-type-looking boat. We have three crew members, me and two other guys. Well, me, Anthony, and one other crew member, actually. And uh, we, you know, we, we, we get bait, we got ice, we got food, and we go out in the ocean and make something of it, basically, <laughs> you know. So tell us what happened on July 24th in 2013. Well, it was a typical routine trip. We got bait fuel and ice and we left the dock about eight o'clock at night because we leave at night because it takes us you know eight hours to get there so by the time we get there it's basically morning and we start working and as we pull out we head down the beach and head offshore i told the crew to go to sleep i'll take the first watch because i usually have one guy awake always one guy awake and two guys sleep so we rotate it was the beginning of um basically lobster season for us. We have uh, refrigeration that we use on the boat to uh, keep the tanks chilled down to a certain temperature because the lobsters are coming from deep water and the surface is relatively warm. So we have a refrigeration system on the boat. So I was getting that ready um, about two hours from where we were supposed to start fishing. And uh, I had two coolers with ice in them, big, like three, three, four foot long coolers. And I had... I had to move them off one of the hatches to close one of the hatch, uh, the valves off. So when I pulled on the cooler with this box hook, it's about a three-foot-long hook that I hooked into the handle of the cooler, I pulled with all my might, and the handle had snapped. Now, the back of the boat doesn't have a transom, doesn't have a back to the back of the boat. It's open. The deck goes right into the oceans because the trap slides off the deck into the water. So when the handle had snapped, I had all my might pulling on that and the handle snap and I went flying out the back of the boat. I couldn't catch myself. And that was basically like two o'clock in the morning. Um, finding so myself pitch in black, <laughs> pitch black, uh, you know, four foot swells in the middle of the night. Uh, and knowing nobody on the boat knows you are missing, you know, today's the day you're going to die in an instant. That that's what happened. And, uh, you know, of course, full panic, screaming, knowing that they're not going to hear you because they're up in the bow of the boat, in the bunks, engines going, they can't hear anything. 
and you come to the realization that you really screwed up and today's the day you're going to die because who lives from a situation like this? You know, I've never heard anybody, you know, in my in my fishing career that have fallen off the boat at night and they've saved him. You know, it's it's pretty much unheard of. So you have that in your head and you're in such disbelief that you're in this situation. You know, it's scary, very scary. Basically realized that I was going to drown because of the panic and I was flailing my arms and trying to stay afloat and swim and you know with the adrenaline flying and you in that in that situation you, you you use up your energy really fast and um i had realized my boots were very buoyant so i took my boots off and i grabbed them in, in my chest with both arms just to try to catch another breath to to stay afloat and i realized that they were pretty buoyant so I don't know what made me think of it, but I said, let me empty the water out of these boots and, and fill it with air and push them back into the water. And I created like a little pontoon. So I did that with both boots and I was, there was like a, like a life jacket basically. It was keeping me afloat. I didn't have to fight to stay on the surface of the water anymore. The boots would keep me, keep me, uh, keep me afloat. And that gave me time to think. That gave me time to assess the situation and, figure out how I can get out of this or how I could stay alive long enough for them to wake up and come find me. So that was the changing point of the situation. It gave me a chance to think about what was going on. And then, you know, instantly I had these storm petrels pecking at my head. Uh, As soon as I hit the water, these black little birds that live on the uh, ocean just started dive bombing me and checking me out and like, it was pretty, pretty intense. You know, you're fighting for your life and then you got to deal like, what the heck is this going on? (laughs) These birds attacking me. And, uh, so that was that. And I just basically at night, I just started setting goals for myself. I said, all right, first goal is you got to stay alive to daylight. So I just kept saying that to myself, stay alive to daylight, just stay alive to daylight. You know, he's going to wake up. He's going to come find me. And that's what I did. I just kept saying that. And, um, keep my mind focused on that and then I see two sets of shark fins swim up around me um you know basically that time of the night morning that's feeding time for them they like to eat at night so and of course that was on my mind and of course the inevitable they they came and found me um circling around you know luckily they didn't uh they didn't come check me out um too close i had uh i had seen them i pulled my little pocket knife out and held it towards them trying to figure out if they come at me i'll stab them or something but realizing how futile that is i uh said yeah i'll put my knife away and i basically just blocked them out of my head i calmed my my breathing down so that i wasn't in such panic so that they wouldn't really come check me out like a like a fish that's hurt or something Tell us how you calmed yourself down, because I don't know that I would be able to calm myself down as there's, you know, sharks circling me. I think I'd be in, like, full-on freak-out mode. Yeah, well, it's like fight or flight, right? So I couldn't fly, so I had a fight. And the only way I, I could fight it was mentally controlling my my breathing and my heart rate, if that was possible. And that's where I went. I went to that because... I couldn't swim out of there. I couldn't walk out of there, run out of there, and I couldn't fight them, basically. So I had to, I had to get inside my head really deep and just put them out of my head, basically, you know, put them out of my, out of my mind. So what are you telling yourself at that point? 
just, you know, control your breathing, control your heart rate, focus on that, you know, and I just focused on my heart rate and my breathing, and I tried to just, you know, just tried to think about that part and not think about the situation I was in, not thinking about the sharks that were near me, and I just focused on that, and I guess it alleviated some of that because eventually they just swam away and they didn't bother me. You know, then sunrise came, and I figured that I should I should find a buoy. I kind of I knew where I was in the ocean. I knew I was in my friend's fishing gear, just north of where we fish. But you know, the buoys are very sporadic. So I was, uh, you know, you come up on a swell, you could see. And then you come down on a swell, you know, in the crest of the wave and, and, and the trough, and, and there's, there's no visibility. So all you see is water. So I only had a couple of seconds at each time a wave would lift me up to see where a buoy might be. And eventually I did see one, and I swam to that just out of basically dead reckoning. And I got to it, you know, got to it, realized that it's really not my salvation, the buoy. I thought that's where, you know, I would be able to hold up and survive until someone came to find me, but that swell was, I guess, a little intense that every time the buoy, uh, every time a wave would go by, it would pull the buoys under the water with me. So I was getting constantly getting pulled under and then back up and then pulled under and back up, and I realized uh, this, ain't, this is not a good spot to be hanging out. I had seen the helicopter, the Coast Guard helicopter, and a couple of uh, Coast Guard jets flying by in the distance, uh, and it looked like they were searching for me more west of where I was. And they kept going back and forth. And I'm like, why don't they come over towards me over here? So I said, I got to get out of here. And I cut the buoy off of my little pocket knife and um, tied it around my wrist. And I started swimming in the direction of where the search party was. And eventually I got to another buoy. I tied the two of them together and uh, I sat in between them. And it was basically the same thing, getting pulled under a little bit and getting bounced around between the two buoys. Um, and uh, eventually I see the helicopter come overhead and he, uh, he and I start freaking out, yelling, screaming, throwing my arms and the boots in the air and splashing and they see me. So they turn the helicopter and they, um, they drop the uh, rescue swimmer out, out the door I had my back turned because the water was just, the spray was so violent from the uh, helicopter wash. And the swimmer eventually swims up to me and he says, uh, sir, are you okay? And I turned around and I turned around and I said, I got two more days left in me. And he's like, oh boy. He goes, we've been in the air nine hours looking for you today. And that's when I said, I've been looking for you for 12 hours today. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, uh, uh, don't worry, I got everything under control. And uh, he, boom, the basket came and he threw me in the basket and up I went. Wow, Johnny, that's, it's, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love that in a, in a situation that I think most people would probably give up hope, that you were still mentally able to control the things that you were able to do something about, like your heart rate and your breathing, something as simple as that, and, and focus on that instead of everything else, worst case scenario, you know, I'm, I'm done for. And then to have the thought of let's, let's find the buoys and to take action and to swim towards the search party. I, I think a lot of the time, you know, not in such 
extreme survival situations, but, you know, I, I can see parallels in my own life where I think, oh, I'm going to get rescued. But, you know, sometimes we actually have to go to where the rescue is and we have to let people know, hey, this is where we are and we're splashing around. And I so, need to be rescued. <laughs> <laughs> and, we need it, and we need that help. So tell us about the reunion and tell, tell us about what was going on on your your boat when they did wake up and, and kind of how the rest of that rescue came together. Yeah, so uh, Anthony and my other crew member, Mike, they had woken up about 20 miles from where I had fallen in. So, you know, he wakes up in a panic, can't in such disbelief that I'm not on the boat. I mean, where could he possibly be? You know, like it's never even a thought if it's something like that happening. So he, he's in a panic mode. They turn the boat around. They, well, they call the Coast Guard. They turn the boat around, and uh, they, they, they steam back up to where they think I might be or in the area where we fish. And, you know, he's going through all day looking and, and coordinating with uh, other boats. During the day, you know, he had made the Coast Guard call to the Coast Guard, and other fishing vessels in the area had heard the distress call. So they all started calling him, asking him where, you know, they could help, how they could help, and, um, you know, what could they do to narrow the search pattern down. So he ended up, at the end of it, was coordinating about 20 private boat, private commercial fishing boats while the Coast Guard was coordinating all of their assets. So it, it was, a, it was a, basically a joint venture between the two of them and uh, the Montauk community that came out looking for me. It was amazing. And now uh, a, you, you guys have a book that has just recently been released and a movie that's coming out. Tell, tell us a little bit about both of those. Uh, so in January of 2014, the New York Times had did an article on us, uh, at Speck in the Sea, which was the cover of uh, the Sunday edition. And as soon as that hit the newsstands, it just blew up. We had Hollywood calling us, had two different producers calling for the rights to the movie and Eventually, we went through them, and uh, Harvey Weinstein won the uh, the bid, basically. And we have a book. It was pretty overwhelmed, you know, to think that you know they're going to make a movie about it now. It's pretty crazy. It, it is pretty crazy that you know falling off a boat <laughs> can <laughs> yeah. change your life so much. John is going to share his biggest tip for survival when we return. As you're gearing up for summer and wondering what to do with your kids for the whole summer, I would highly recommend checking out National Geographic Kids. They have a lot of great resources and books for active minds and great national park guidebook that is perfect for those road trips, a way that they can engage and learn on their own. So check out National Geographic Kids. We're back on the Go Adventure Mom podcast. Our guest today is John Aldridge, and he's a sea fisherman that was cast overboard and survived. We're talking about survival, and John is going to share his number one thing to do if you're ever in a situation like his. Well, the one bit of advice that definitely saved my life that day was thinking positively, thinking positive. When I seen the... um, the boat's looking for me and they didn't see me when I seen the helicopter looking for me and then they didn't see me. I didn't think, Oh man, they didn't see me. Um, doomed. I turned it around going, Oh great. They're still looking for me. I still have a chance. 
every aspect of what was going on in my world that day, I couldn't think of anything negative. Like I had to push my, my family out of my head. I had to push my friends, anything. I had to push anything that would bring me down negatively because it was so powerful, the power of negative thinking, that it would make it okay to die. You know, I felt it like just wanting to, to say, okay, you know, it's too much. Just go ahead and give up. And anytime I thought positive, it was so powerful. It was so powerful and it was so uplifting that it was night and day difference. So I would say the power of positive thinking truly does save your life. I mean, when your life is on the line and it's that close of an edge of dying and living, the positive thinking is by far what saved my life that day. Just being able to think positively and, and, and use that energy to keep going forward. Well, thank you, John. I, th- I think that is powerful. It, it obviously worked for you, and I think it's a great message for, for all of us. It's, it's easy to get sucked into the negative, but to to keep on the positive side of things and, and the positive effects that can have. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed hearing John's story and the power of positive thinking. I I think it's a great reminder that no matter what our situation is like, that we can can think positively and that it really can have a life-saving effect. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast. For more family adventure, visit GoAdventureMom.com. Plus, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends.